Hello there and welcome back to a brand new session from the teaching series entitled Divine Healing. Last time, if you remember in our last session, we began talking about uh, a first chapter entitled Foundational Truths and Definitions. And we covered the first subsection, uh, the first subsection, which was talking about the Word of God as being the final authority in our lives, in every area of our lives. Today, we will continue with two more subsections and hopefully we'll finish the first chapter. Uh, the, the, the things that we're going to talk today are about the new creation mindset and at the end we'll define what divine healing is and what divine healing isn't. And uh, about the new creation mindset, I want, to, I want us to understand today that everything related to healing and not only uh, other principles in the Bible will, will be, have to be approached and filtered through the lens of the new creation concept or the filter of the new creation mentality or concept. You will notice after, uh, after the, the session today, uh, uh, by the grace of God, that if you get this new creation mindset and principle of interpretation, a lot of other things in the Bible will start to make more sense as until now. And you will feel like other people have told me that the Bible will come alive. You will see it with new eyes. You will see new things, new revelations from, from, uh, from the Holy Spirit when you read the Bible. Because this new creation mindset or f uh, filter or way of interpretation is a powerful principle that is so many times missed by many Christians. And, and healing itself, healing itself has not changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but the way of ministering healing to people in the new creation era has changed. And it is, it is different even from the way the disciples of Jesus ministered healing when they walked with Jesus on earth. And if you remember when Jesus performed uh, healings or miracles in a, in a healing situation in the New Testament, there were there were a, a few a few uh, players in that situation. It was the crowd, the sick person, the disciples, the Pharisees, and finally Jesus. And depending on your spiritual level and condition, you, whenever you read a story like that or a passage like that about healing, about how Jesus did heal people, you look at those passages through the eyes of one of those people. Or one of those players in the in the in the story. Most commonly, you will see yourself. You will see the situation through the eyes of the sick person, meaning that you will identify yourself with the sick person most of the time. Isn't that right? Sometimes, other times, you might identify yourself with the disciples or with the multitude. You definitely don't want to identify yourself with the Pharisees, right? But uh, very few of us identify ourselves with Jesus Christ, who was performing the healing and who was never sick. While he, was walked, while he walked on earth, Jesus Christ was never sick in his body. But he healed everyone who, met, uh, everyone who, who came to him for, for a need. So the, what I'm trying to say is, the, is that the only person there in that situation that we should now identify with is really Jesus Christ. 
And although he wasn't yet a new creation like we are after his death on the cross and resurrection, he is the closest to what we are now in Christ. So even when we are sick, when I am sick, I should identify myself with Jesus Christ because he's the only person that we can imitate. He's the closest to the new creation. He wasn't a new creation yet. He became one after the resurrection. You know, the gospel doesn't begin does not begin in the uh, in the uh, in the first chapters of the gospel of mark matthew mark and luke or john the gospel or the new creation era actually begins after the after jesus's death on the cross and resurrection that's when he became a new creation and everyone else who believes in his name from there on becomes a new creation in christ jesus and we need to change our mindset if we are believers in Christ because we are no longer in the Old Testament. We are, not, no, we are no longer an Old Testament person. That doesn't mean we cancel the Old Testament. There are things that are similar. There are things that we learn from the Old Testament. There are even things that kind of came in the New Testament. But a lot of them, they don't apply anymore to the new creation, to the New Testament. And this is very important. We cannot pick and choose passages or verses from the Old Testament and automatically apply it to ourselves as it would apply or it would be true for us. It's, uh, it, it, we cannot do that because it will not work because that's not the truth. We have to interpret the truth and see which things belong to us, which things um, re, uh, refer to us and we can personalize it and take it and believe it and uh, uh, manifest it in our lives. So let's begin today by reading a first passage, a very famous one from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses, verses 17 and 18. I will be reading from the New King James Version, but you are free to use whatever English version you have. It will, it will mostly enrich your reading and your understanding. Let's read it together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given to whom? To us the believers, the Christians, the ministry of reconciliation. You know, you are not just a cleaned up sinner. I hear so many times, and even Christians, mature Christians, uh, they, uh, who think they are mature, saying things like, I'm a sinner saved by grace. You're no longer a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner saved by grace, and now you are saved. You cannot say that you are still a sinner. That, that betrays their mentality, that Old Testament mentality. And that way of thinking permeates all the areas of their lives and affects it in a negative way. It robs us of so many benefits that the New Testament creation, new creation uh, is entitled to. So we are not a cleaned up sinner, a fixed or improved sinner. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. When, when he fixed you, he fixed you for good. But I cannot even use this word because he didn't fix us. He recreated, he completely recreated our spirits and gave us new spirits. And all things have become new. And all things are from God, this verse says. 
And God made us a brand new species. Can you believe this? Yes, we have the same soul and same body. We look the same. Maybe we, we, we talk the same. We have the same personality. But inside of us, our true self, our identity, our spirit has become completely new, completely recreated. It's a new species that has not existed before. And it's not the human species. The Bible says we're not mere humans. We are supernatural. We are born from the Holy Spirit. We are born from above. In 1 John, John chapter 1 says we are born of God. 1 John 5, 4. We are born of God. And who is born of God overcomes the world. So if we are born of God himself, we have the nature of God. Our spirits have the life of God in, in, uh, in themselves. And um, and. Uh, so your spirit is completely recreated at the moment of salvation. You become brand new when you receive Jesus Christ into your heart. But then the mind has to be renewed progressively. Uh, Romans 12 verses 1 to 3 tells us that to not be conformed to the way this world goes, but to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and be transformed into the image of Christ. So that what's inside of us, what's inside of you, that new spirit, that new life, the power and the spirit can come out from inside out and to be manifested into your body and to other people. The life, the eternal life that we have received in our spirits, in our new spirits, is the life and the very life and the nature of God from the realm of eternity. That's why we call it eternal life. It also includes existence without end, but it's not just that. It's spiritual life. It's energy. It's power. That's why Jesus Christ said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you. When God has poured into our hearts the Holy Spirit in us, He has given us His power, His very Word, His, His, uh, uh, His very nature. First Peter says that we are partakers of the divine nature. That's, that's a reality. That's a fact here on earth, not on the future life. That's the most exciting thing. And I hope I can give that excitement to you so that you will search and seek how to manifest that new life into your day-to-day -day life and to other people's. And so that the gospel will become exciting for you. That's what has become for me. For me, it's not a hassle now to read the Bible or to pray or to praise because I know why I'm doing those things and what those things do to my spirit, to myself. They grow me. They build me supernaturally so that I can prove the word of God, so that I can walk a supernatural life and be a living testimony, a living gospel to the other people. So this is so exciting. I'm, I'm so full of the Holy Spirit right now. Uh, and I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit's joy in my life. So when we minister to people, we represent Jesus. There is this idea in the church that I, who I am ministering, I go to God on behalf of the sick person. But, but this is not quite right. This is not right, actually. We are not going to God for them and plead to God to heal them, but we are going to them for God. That's a big difference. We're not imploring God to give us healing or to give healing to others. That was in, in the Old Testament. The priest would go to God on behalf of people. But in the New Testament, we are priests, the priests of God, and we go to people on behalf of God. We go and minister to people. God has told me and you in Mark 16 to lay hands on, on sick people 
and they shall recover to lay hands on you and you will recover. We represent God to people and not the other way around people to God. And this is a big, uh, uh, it's a, it's a big um, a sign or a, uh, one of the things of the new creation mindset that we need to understand and implement because this will, will change our, our worldview the way we interpret other passages in the Bible. So it's a totally different mindset. When Jesus walked on the earth, look at Jesus. He represented God to people. Exactly what I said. Whenever he spoke to the people, he spoke to them as if God was there. Isn't that right? Do you remember when you read through the gospel throughout his life? So when we represent God, we talk as if God talks. That's powerful. And uh, so many Christians, they think they are humble or they try to be humble in an innocent way. Uh, and when I say things like that, with, that we talk as God would talk, they panic. And then, oh, brother, you need to be humble. You need to humble yourself. I understand that. Humility doesn't mean to back down your head and be trampled upon by the forces of darkness. Humility is depending on God, worshiping God, true humility, and uh, making God your source, putting your faith in his word, but it also means confidence. So it's like humility in your relationship to God on the vertical, but it's confidence and a word attitude and a, and a, um, a strong a violence, a spiritual violence again when you, in your relationship with the spiritual forces of darkness, of wickedness of the devil, like sickness and what they bring with them. Sickness, lack, poverty, curse. No, I will, I will not be humble with those. I will cut them. I will destroy them with the power of the word of God in my mouth and in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So those things need to be destroyed. So whenever we need to talk like God talk, what do you need me to do to you? I need to recover my sight. Recover your sight. Recover your your uh, recover recover your body. Be healed in the name of Jesus. That that doesn't mean we think we are God. We are not God. We have the same nature as God. We are in his image and his likeness. We have his abilities, some of his abilities to heal the sick, to to change our world, to overcome but he alone is God who receives worship. He has a different role than us. We, we talk like he is here. We represent him, but he has a specific role. He is the God Almighty, God, the God of universe. He has the sovereignty and we serve under his authority. But if we are born of God, that means we are also gods or governors in a way. And the Bible says that John 10, 33, that the, those, to those to whom the word of God has come, he calls them gods or governors. So we are called to reign. We are called to be in God's stead, his ambassadors. Let's open and read Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 20. Uh, I think I, oh, whenever I talk about the new creation, I get so excited and so joyful because this is something very powerful that the devil doesn't like Christians to hear and to live. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. This is a reality. This is a truth right now on earth. Christ lives in me as a person as an entity his power lives in me and the life which now uh, which i now live in the flesh in this body i live by the faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself 
for me. Paul says that it's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. Well, if it's no longer I who live, why would it be I who tries to minister? It's not I, it's not myself, it's not my human strength, it's not me, but it's Christ. When I minister to someone, it's not I the one ministering, it's not myself, but Christ ministering through me. I in Christ, myself in Christ, we are one. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. I have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16, I think like Christ, I examine like Christ, I judge things like Christ from the perspective of heaven, from the perspective of the new creation and not in a human way. And I talk like Christ. I don't talk human, fleshly. Oh, my, my back kills me. Oh, my, uh, my, uh, um, my headaches kills me. Or this kid kills me. Or I have this pain. I have this cancer. I, I cannot talk things like that. God never talks like that. That's, these are facts, but we can say and we can tell, report them or talk about how we feel in a different way. Not that we have those. We feel those things. We, we receive reports from the doctors, but that doesn't mean we have to possess them and to, to talk like they're ours or we are that. See, because the reality is that Christ is in us. If Christ is in you and the Bible says that the, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit quickens your mortal body, how can, how can the temple of the Holy Spirit be defiled with sickness? Sickness is a defilement. The temple of God is holy, is sanctified. The Holy Spirit, the power that's in you, repels sickness. Of course, when you believe the word, when you believe what God has given us in his word, Christ in you repels, should repel sickness. So when I speak, I speak the words of God. And look what Paul says again in 1 Peter 4, 11. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So when we start, when we speak, we need to speak the oracles of God, the decrees of God, the word of God, and we speak it in a personalized way, as if uh, we believe it and applies to us. We we have a new identity. We cannot speak like other human beings, because we don't belong to this world. We are born from above. We are joint heir with Christ. Romans eight says, "Joint heirs. We're heirs of this world." We are heirs of God, of everything God has and everything God is. We are heirs. That's, that's so real. However, you will notice that when you start speaking like God, that kind of talk, as I said before, is always full of confidence and boldness. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. And because of that, many times you will be interpreted and be aware of that. You will be interpreted and judged by religious people as proud. You'll hear things like that. Who do you think you are to talk like that? You are young. You don't even have experience. You are, uh, why are you so proud? How can you talk like this? And if you look at, uh, at all the lives of the people that have ever been greatly used by God, you'll notice they tend to say things that religious people don't like. They said it to Jesus that he blasphemed, even to Jesus. And 
all the great men of God who in their time while they lived, they weren't that comfortable towards other people. Uh, they weren't that liked, so liked. After they died, a lot of books were written about them, about their faith, and they were uh, lifted up. But while they lived, not so many people liked them. And you'll notice that in, if you read their biographies, because because when you are born again and you start taking seriously the word of God, your normal is no longer the world's normal. You can no longer do the things that the world does. And that's why there's a conflict, even in your family and friends, even Christians, because there are different levels of maturity, level and not, and every Christian, Christian, takes uh, more or less serious the word of God. So you will mostly not be liked. You will be, you will be looked at as being braggadocious and proud. But there's a difference between being proud and confident. Isn't that right? Confident is full of boldness. Confidence is based uh, it, it's based on faith on the word of God, on what you believe, what you know for sure. It's not you who are proud, oh, I can do this, I'll do this. No, your confidence is based on God, on the word of God. And that's a big difference between pride and confidence. But look at Jesus. We see in John 10, let's read verses 32 and, verse, uh, and 33. But we also see in John 5 that Jesus was called was uh, was accused that he blasphemed and why uh, look at this passage john 10 32 33 jesus answered them many good works i have shown you from the father for which of those works do you stone me the jews answered him saying for a good work we do not stone you but for blasphemy and because you being man make yourself god how did jesus make himself god in john 5 says that they, they, they accused him of making himself God because he was saying that he is the son of God. So if you are a son of God, you are considered a God. Or make you, uh, you, are, you will be considered as making yourself God. But Jesus indeed was God. He was the son of God and he was God. We are God's children, sons and daughters. So in a way, we are God's. But we don't have this. We share the same essence, the same nature and quality, but not the same roles and personalities. Amen. So we share the same mind. We share the same principles with the Godhead, but not the same roles. And we need to be, uh, we need to understand that in, a, in the right context. Otherwise, out of fear of not making myself God, we will be robbed of benefits of that boldness and confidence that comes when you know and you believe that you are a king in the heavenly places and you have the dominion you are called to reign in life romans 5 17 says when you receive the abundance of grace you are called to reign not over people but over sickness over darkness over devils over poverty over lack over curse over fear over all the we've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son colossians 1 13 says you you're no longer in the kingdom of darkness you're no longer under the dominion or the authority of the kingdom of darkness so you're supposed to put it and keep it down you're, you're supposed to subdue it by the power of god romans says romans 8 i think says that we live by the law of the spirit of life we no longer live by the law of sin and death we are immune to the law of sin and death it has no power over us 
So Jesus was blasphemed. This is saying, there is a, this saying in the body of Christ uh, in some places that a good evangelist is just one beggar saying to another beggar where there, where there is bread. And this is not right. This is not good. This is not a new creation mentality. This is an Old Testament mentality. Because in the Old Testament, we were servants. We are not beggars, but we had to come and implore God. We didn't have rights because Jesus didn't die yet. We, we, were, we only had the animal sacrifices, but we didn't have any rights. We didn't have uh, the promises of God. We had the law and not even us, the Gentiles, the people of Israel had the law by which they, they were provided life or death. Deuteronomy says, and God told them, choose life. So the law of God, the law of Moses was a way for them to, to choose life and to be blessed through the animal sacrifices and through their obedience. But let's come back to this saying. So uh, a good evangelist is not a beggar saying to another beggar where there is bread. This is false. Psalm 37 verse 25 says this. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Whenever you read in the Old Testament and you see the word righteous, like here, you, I have not seen the righteous forsaken. You can put yourself instead of that because you are the righteous. You are the righteousness of God. In the Old Testament, they were not yet righteousness of God they were not yet changed in their nature they were still humans under the authority of darkness yes they were the people of God but they were under the authority of darkness they were servants in the kingdom of God not sons not righteousness so uh, in the in the in the new testament the righteous I think meaning myself and you I will never be forsaken, nor, nor my descendants, my sons and daughters, I will never see them begging bread. Oh, if you take that word and declare it for you and believe it, this will manifest in your life. Jesus said, pray this way. In, a, in, a, in the Matthew's prayer, in a, the Lord's prayer, in Matthew, Luke, and you see all the accounts, the similar accounts. Pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. And then when he stood in front of the Syrophoenician woman, he said this in Matthew 15, verses 26 to 28. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. What was the children's bread that Jesus was referring to here in verse 26? When he says, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. What was this woman, Syrophoenician woman, asking Jesus for? Healing of her daughter. And Jesus says, I cannot give the children's bread to, to the dogs. So in other words, the children's bread was the healing for her daughter. And it belonged to the children of God. And, and she was considered a dog. She wasn't from the family of God. <clears throat> so the children's bread was healing and deliverance 
for the people of Israel. This was the children's bread. This daily bread we're supposed to be getting on a regular basis. It is not a little crumble out of the box of promises. This is powerful. Our And now in the New Testament, to the whole people of God, including the Gentiles, our daily bread is everyday life, healing, and blessing of God. That bread is ours. It belongs to us, the Christians. And I'll talk later on in this series about the communion, the Lord's Supper. When we take the bread, actually, that's a, a way of God of reminding us. It's like a discipline. It's a joyful moment when we eat the bread, which represents healing, deliverance, forgiveness of sins, prosperity, blessing, freedom. Uh, and uh, you, will, you will rediscover the Lord's Supper and, and you will see it in a completely new way. Even though Jesus told her no initially to this woman, he turned around and gave her the bread, healing and deliverance. We are not trying to plead with Jesus and God by begging him for healing on behalf of other sick people. This is, again, I'm saying, we are not begging God. We never should beg God or implore God for healing because healing, once you became a born again believer, healing is your right and privilege. It's your right. It's your, it's your right through birth, through inheritance. And it's, it should happen anytime, anywhere. You should, you should live continuously in health and not even for other people because God gave it freely. He gave us freely all things, Romans 8.32 says. If he, if he didn't spare his only son, who was his most precious possession, Romans 8.32 says, how will he not freely give us all things, like healing, life, and uh, blessing? Luke 10.19 says this, Behold, Jesus tells to the disciples, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You should not be afraid of the devil. You are the son and the daughter of God. The whole heaven knows you by reputation, by name. And you are, you are dev, the devil's master here on earth in Christ Jesus and people's servant. You should never fear that the devil will retaliate, will hurt you, will the curse will come on you if you heal someone or if you pray for someone. Yes, he will probably attack. He has his kings, but he's powerless. He's just raging he, on the side and he, his best weapon is, de, is deceit. He, deceit and destruction. He doesn't really have power over us. We have the power over him. Amen. <clears throat> So Jesus gave the disciples authority over all the power of the enemy, all the power of the enemy, all the power of the enemy. All means all except nothing. All the power of the enemy. He said, you go and find those people, find them. And when you find them, you set them free. That's a mandate that we should do all the time. This is how police works. No, isn't that right? You will not, you will never see a policeman calling in and asking for permission to arrest a robber. That's his mandate. That's what he was employed for. It's automatically, he doesn't need permission from his superiors to arrest a robber or a thief or a criminal. He has authority from the government to do it himself whenever he sees fit. 
see his feet. Jesus said to the disciples that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon them in Acts 1.8. And that power is not somewhere in heaven sitting and waiting. That power is resident within us, within you. If you, if you were born again, that power, and you received the Holy Spirit, that power is within you always, and it's always available. That's, that's what we're trying to learn in this, in this series, how to manifest that power that is in us. It's always available. It's always there. We're not supposed to wait for God to pour out His Spirit and to come to bring revival. That was an Old Testament way because the people didn't have any power in them. The Holy Spirit would come and go on different people. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. Once you have become a new creation in Christ, you have become a born-again believer, the Bible says in John that the Holy Spirit comes and will abide in you, comes in you, and He will be with you and in you forever he doesn't leave your first mistake or your sin so many christians think that the holy spirit leaves and goes comes and uh, comes and goes depending on our holiness level or our our uh, our uh, mistakes and sins and uh, sinful deeds but the holy spirit never leaves your body never leaves you your body the, which is his temple after you are born again the holy spirit is resident in you and is always in you once you are born again. So when we go, we are like the ambassadors the delivering the decrees of the kingdom. We are on a mission. The, the gospel is called the gospel of the kingdom. There is a kingdom that is invisible, which uh, intertwines with this visible world. They, are, they occupy the same space. And not only this world, the second heaven, the third heaven, the kingdom of God is everywhere. It's in your heart. That's why God says, Jesus said that the kingdom, it's in your heart. Because the kingdom really, the power of the kingdom, it's in your spirit. It's in your mouth. And it's an invisible kingdom, but it's, uh, it's all powerful. So they, they, these ambassadors don't start making new policies, but they just deliver what their country's policies are. What are my country's policies? What are my heavenly country's policies? The decrees, what God has said for me to do. That's what I deliver. And we are supposed to follow the faith of the Old Testament heroes, like I said in the beginning, but not always their actions, which don't apply to the new creation. For instance, people like Gideon, who put out a fleece, that's not a new covenant concept. Why? Because now we have the Holy Spirit in us to show us which direction to go. We are led by the Holy Spirit. And those who are led by the Holy Spirit are the sons of God, the hewers of God, Romans says. So we, are, we no longer need to put out a fleece and like the, uh, and throw, um, and like, we don't, we no longer need to do that like Gideon. I, I missed now the term. I was trying to say something, but anyway. So we no longer put out the fleece, but we have the Holy Spirit of God who, who directs us and leads us. Let's read one more passage from 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Are you excited? Do you like it so far? Do you feel strengthened, emboldened, built up in faith? I hope, I hope so. I am. For my, I for one, I am. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. <clears throat> Beloved, now we are children of God. Now we are children of God. 
and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And here we, we uh, it might refer to the time when we, Jesus will reveal his name and we will see him like he is, but it also talks about a revelation of Jesus Christ in you. It says that, we are now children of God and has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Because in the beginning, you don't know how Christ functions, how to grow in Christ, how to function in Christ. But, but we know that when he is revealed, meaning Christ is revealed in you, you start seeing, perceiving who Christ is and Christ manifests himself through you. We shall be like him. We shall function like him here on earth. For we shall see him as he is. Amen. And who we are in him. And Romans 8 verse 19 says this. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Not at the end of our life in the new heaven and the new earth. But the revealing of the sons of God here on earth. Because the creation is cursed. But when we take seriously the word of God and we, be, we begin walking like sons of God, we are revealed to the creation, to the people. How? By healing, by blessing, by delivering, by blessing people. We are revealed as Christ on earth. We are revealed to the world as sons of God. They will start saying, this man is a man of God. This man is like Jesus. And that's an awesome testimony to receive, by the way. The sons of God are to, reveal, to be revealed here on earth. We are now the sons of God on this earth. And we are expected to grow up, to look like Jesus, as I said, act like him, talk like him, and produce like him. Results. Produce results. In the, it sounds strange, but to, to do the things that he did successfully. And Jesus used the below an analogy of the grain of wheat about himself. So here we see on what basis I say what I say, that we are supposed to walk like Christ, not like human beings, not like servants. John chapter 12, verse 23 to 24. But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. That's how we do with the grain, with all the things that we plant. And we plant seeds and more, more grains, uh, um, we harvest more grains. So if the grain of wheat doesn't go into the ground, the seed doesn't go into the ground, it doesn't produce more wheat, more grains. So what did, Je what did Jesus do through his life and his death? Jesus went into the ground and died for three days. And God didn't sow a son to reap servants. So he saw a son, he, Jesus died and went into the ground. To, reap, to, to bring more sons to glory, to life. He sowed the son, God sowed a son to reap sons, sons and daughters, not servants. That's why we are supposed to be like Christ. That's the genius, genius plan of God from eternity past that the devil didn't know about. 
That's why Jesus said it's better for me to go because I will send the Holy Spirit and now millions of Christs on earth will advance the kingdom of God as I did. I cannot be in all the places at once, but you and the Holy Spirit can be. Now we have the Holy Spirit. I don't even need to be in a certain place to speak the word of God. Even Jesus did that with the centurion. He spoke and said, your servant is healed. And in that moment was healed because in the spiritual world, there's no time and distance and space. It's, it's the quantum world. Now we're discovering the quantum physics. In the quantum world, there's no, there's no distance. There's no, uh, there's no distance and space. Like when you speak, it's like when you speak something about someone in another place, it's like he is being here. That, that's so exciting. I mean, for me, it's like a, a whole new world. And um, so we are supposed to walk like sons and daughters, walk in a, in a manner worthy of God's calling, walk tall, walk full of boldness, full of confidence, and speak full of confidence, full of authority. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, says God, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So he, you were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, not only in holiness and good deeds and in morality. That's how most Christians take it. Many Christians take it. Not only in that, that's one part, but also in what he did, in how, the way he walked, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What does this verse say? That Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8, 29. You can go and read it for yourself. Jesus is our older brother. Yet it seems strange. Maybe you're not familiar with this kind of language. But he is. Yes, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is the Lord of our life. But isn't that wonderful that he is our older brother? Our brother, our older brother is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's something awesome. That nobody else has any other authority. He has all the authority, all the power, and he has given that to us. He shared that to us. We are joint heirs with Christ. What he has, what he can do right now on earth, we can do. That's why the Bible says that we are co-inheritors. We, we, exactly what, what is a joint account? Two people having a joint bank account means that both of them have 100% rights and privilege to those money, to those accounts. There's not 50-50 or 30-80. That's full for both of them, joint. So we are joint heirs. Healing doesn't work because God shows up somewhere. This is important. But because you show up somewhere, because I show up somewhere. This is why I'm not such a fan. This is that's that's why I'm not such a fan of waiting for revivals and praying for revivals and uh, and asking interceding for revivals to happen. That was a revelation of the past and God did revivals and he might still do it according to that time's revelation. But that's not God's best. God is not selfish to oh you need to wait for me. You need to beg for me uh, to come and to be convinced to come down on earth. No. That was in the Old Testament. 
Now things have changed. We don't need to beg God to bring a revival. You have become the revival. We have become the revival. Wherever we go, we should be the revival of God and revive people to life. Speak the oracles of God, the words of life and minister life to people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now God is moving the church to a higher revelation. You'll notice all over the world, God is giving more revelation to the church and he's trying to pull the church as a body, as a global body of Christ to a higher revelation in wisdom, in understanding and in power. Not in extremes, not in claiming to have it, not in uh, uh, only laughter and all kinds of uh, emotional and physical manifestation, but he calls us he calls us higher to a mature stature of Christ, to walk in the full measure of Christ, but in wisdom, in understanding, not in extremes, and and to take advantage of everything God has for us, not only in certain gifts, we have access to all the gifts, all the Holy Spirit is in us. Yes, the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he wills, because we are not doing our job. Yes, from time to time he gives gifts, because we are not taking the word enough, we are not growing, we are not renewing our, our minds so that we can function like Jesus Christ functioned in the fullness of God. John first, chapter 1 verse 16 says, Of his fullness we have received and grace upon grace. We have the fullness of God. I know I don't need to function by a gift. That's something like God that God gives. Uh, without your input, without you growing in the word, without reading the word, without renewing your mind. He just gives it to you to bless other people because it's an act of mercy. It's not the rule of thumb. It's not God's best. God expects us. That's why you don't see so many revivals right now in the in this season. And we haven't seen for some years now because God wants us to. Yes, he says, I pushed you. I gave you. I showed you what I can do. I showed you what what it can be like. But now grow up, grow up in Christ, be built up in Christ. Go and manifest the power that I put in you already. Amen. So God is in us and you are a revival wherever you go. He's not just visiting us from time to time. That's a, an Old Testament concept. When with the judges, if you look at the judges, he raised a man, he anointed him, the Holy Spirit came, he delivered his people, then that man uh, went, were died the holy spirit lifted off and the people were back in the same state where they had to beg and ask for god to visit them but in the new testament we don't ask for god to visit us from time to time we are supposed to go and to do the things that he has already given us he has already given us everything pertaining to life and godliness the bible says he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places he has given us his nature and we are not evolving, we are not evolving into a better, into a better person, into a better Christian by coming to church. You are not getting better. Did you hear that? You are not getting better. You have been completely recreated at once and you are just catching up with what happened to you by renewing your mind. So you're not improving. You are, you are brand new, but your mind, both conscious and unconscious, which is more difficult to change, is catching up with who you are. Colossians 2, 9 to 10 says this, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead boldly, bodily, 
about Jesus Christ talks here. And you are complete in him, in Christ, who is the head of all principality and power. In other words, we are complete in Christ with no need of improvement. When you look at a brand new born baby and check him, his feet, his hands, his body, you can conclude that he is healthy and he is complete. He is a, a human. He has all his parts. However, he is not grown up yet, matured. Isn't that right? He is, he is complete. He has all the body parts. He is healthy, but he's not grown up. In the same way, growing up and maturing means the baby begins to learn how to use what he already has. So the process of growing to maturity, growing up, means that the baby begins to learn how to use what he already has. So when they start walking, they are beginning to use their legs, which they were already born with. That's in the same way we are as new creations. We already have everything we need. We just need to exercise, to learn in knowledge, to grow in knowledge and understanding. And, and through that, faith would come, and then we would speak and manifest the life of God. I don't, and I want to give an example here. There are two types of potters or sculptures. The first one is one that takes clay and then he keeps adding clay randomly until it looks like what he wants. This is how many Christians try to do it today. They're, this is the way they try to walk in holiness, try to walk in a, in a good life. Uh, here I am, but I need an anointing. I need a gift. I need something. No, as new creations, you don't need anything. When I hear songs of worship and praise, asking for God, I need this, oh, come, do this for me, do this for me. We don't need anything. God has already given us all that we need. Our songs of praise should change into thanksgiving, into worship, adoration. We don't need to wait for nothing from God. He, just his presence, enjoy his fellowship, his presence to be there. And his presence is with us all the time. It's just our minds who are not conscious and aware all the time of his presence. He is with us all the time. This is not the type of sculpture that God is or that you are supposed to be in the new creation era. So the second type, the second type of sculpture or a potter is uh, is the one that takes a big block of marble or clay season it what he wants to do and then chips away everything that is not in what he wants to be so you see jesus in that big block of marble that raw material and then chip away everything that is not jesus that that what means to grow in christ to renew our mind to 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 be to grow in maturity we don't need anything added to us or to you but we need stuff to be chipped away from us the selfish the fleshly the wrong thinking another example is with a rough diamond stone all the shines and the value of a diamond all are present in it from the beginning isn't that right but in order for the diamond to shine we need to polish it and take off the dirt so that it shines. That's how we are when we come in Christ. We have all kinds of dirt. But through the word of God, through the washing of the water of the word of God, through renewing our mind with our new identity in Christ Jesus, that's when we start to manifest the life of God and shine for God and for other people. Luke 7, 24, 28. 
This is powerful and we're, we're coming to a uh, close soon. When the messengers of John had departed, he began, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John, Jesus. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wow, what a powerful statement. Verse 28 says this, that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet among those born of women. Greater than Elijah, greater than Elisha, greater than Zechariah, greater than any prophet of the Old Testament. From all the prophets born of women. He was greater. Now what is a prophet? A prophet is a messenger of God. A person who has a message from God. Isn't that right? That's what he, it was in the Old Testament. The prophet would come and speak the message of God. Speak a message from God. That means John the Baptist had the greatest message. If he was the greatest prophet, born of women, he had the greatest message. <clears throat> All the other prophets were saying, he is coming, he's coming, he's coming. They were looking forward through the Spirit to see uh, about Jesus Christ and about the grace that would come and about the glories that would follow. He's coming, he's coming. But John the Baptist, was, his message was, he is here. He is here. However, verse 28 goes on and says that the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Why? What does it mean to be in the kingdom of God? It means to be born again, to be in Christ, to be a new creation, and to have the fullness of the Spirit in you. In other words, to be a Christian. So the least believer in the kingdom of God, the one who doesn't know anything, he just came into the kingdom of God. He just gave his life to Jesus. The, the least believer in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Can you imagine that? Is greater than John the Baptist. And greater, implicitly, greater than all the prophets of the Old Testament. Take a moment and meditate on this. This is what meditation is. This is extraordinary. So the least believer in the kingdom of God is greater than all the prophets of the Old Testament. We don't need the anointing of Elijah. And that might sound as a shock to you because there are so many songs. We don't need the anointing of Elijah or the double portion of Elisha or the anointing of Ezekiel. We're not in Ezekiel's times. We're in greater times, in better times. We are in the time of the Holy Spirit, which the Old Testament prophets didn't have. Because all those are far inferior to what the new creation has and is. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes and stays forever in the believer. So when you, I can no longer sing a song. And I might seem too radical. But I can no longer sing songs like, These are the times of Elijah. Or the times of Ezekiel. Or the times of Moses. No. I live better times. 
I, I don't need those anointings because they are so inferior. I have the anointing of the Holy Spirit in, in me that abides in me forever, Hebrew says. We have been anointed by God and this anointing abides in us forever. Isn't that, isn't that great? I think I'll leave the first subsection about defining the divine healing for, the, uh, for, for next time, for the next session, because this is too powerful, too important. I, I want to leave you with these thoughts in your heart and in your mind about the new creation. Find out. Now when you read the Bible, even when you read the Psalms, the Proverbs, the New Testament, where you see the righteousness, that's who you are. You're no longer a servant. See the things. When it says the Bible, sin does not have dominion over you or because you are under grace or that you are dead to sin. Sin has no power over you. It's not something like uh, the, uh, the dog that I feed more. It's not, uh, the evil principle is no longer in us. We have a brand new holy nature. We are the priests of God. We are a new generation, a chosen race, called out, 1 Peter 2.9. We are called out to proclaim God's excellencies, to manifest those excellencies. And that's so exciting. And that's why we praise and worship God, not to receive something, but to give something to God, to give thanksgiving for the, His word, for such a greater salvation, for grace, for, for the Holy Spirit, for eternal life. Can, can you see how many things He has given us? Healing, health, prosperity, blessing. And He, he is with us. He is for us. Jesus Christ was tempted before us, but He overcame. And He said, be bold and overcome. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world, overcomes the flesh, overcomes sickness, overcomes everything. Amen. Until next time, be blessed and uh, may the Lord help you by the Holy Spirit to grow to maturity in, uh, in the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. Amen.